In episode 31 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, we are tackling the topic of recycling. Now, this isn't necessarily niched to the outdoor industry, but it is a topic that I get a lot of questions about. So it felt fitting to discuss how recycling works in many areas and how you can learn more about what is and isn't recyclable where you live. We did chat a little bit about things like fuel canisters and other common outdoor industry consumables that many people probably use and throw away, but you may be able to recycle. So stay tuned for those tips near the end of the episode. To help me discuss all things recycling, I had the pleasure of hosting Courtney Lane. Courtney is an outdoor professional who has been in the industry for about six years now. She has a primary focus on outdoor and environmental education, and she takes pride in trying to be the best steward of the environment that she can be by trying to understand her own overall consumption and also by educating future generations by sparking curiosity and connection in the outdoors. In her spare time, she's also an amateur lifestyle blogger and photographer. Before we get to the interview, I just want to say once again, happy Earth Month. So if you tuned into last week's episode about reforestation projects, then you'll know that to honor Earth Day, many of us in the industry feel it should be a month-long celebration. So over the three-week period here from April 4th to Earth Day, which is April 22nd, Outdoor Minimalist has partnered with Granite Gear Groundskeepers to host the trashiest giveaway you've ever seen. All you have to do is follow all of the Groundskeeper sponsors on Instagram. Then on your next hike or walk, pick up three pieces of trash, take a selfie with said trash, vertical images only, and submit the selfie to the Granite Gear's Instagram direct messages. Their account is at Granite Gear and they will only be accepting entries until midnight Pacific Standard Time on April 21st. The winner of the giveaway will be announced on Earth Day, April 22nd, and will only be contacted by Granite Gear's official Instagram account. Some of the amazing prizes include a Granite Gear Crown 2 60 liter backpack, four Kula cloths, two Lava Linens Woven Wonders hand towels, and a pre-ordered copy of the Outdoor Minimalist book. There are so many other amazing sponsors and prizes, so if you want to learn more about how to make a full entry into the giveaway, what all of the prizes include, and who the other sponsors are, head over to my Instagram page at outdoor.minimalist.book. Welcome to the show, Courtney. I'm looking forward to delving into all things recycling with you, but before we get to that, can you tell me a little bit more how you got involved in outdoor recreation and how that fits into your life now? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I've been in the outdoor industry about six years now, professionally working at a variety of camps as a naturalist and primarily focusing on outdoor and environmental education. The opportunity kind of fell in my lap when I was in college. I joined a program called Outdoor Leadership, and it just kind of went from there. Throughout that program, I kind of started understanding what it means to be a good steward of the environment, what it looks like to take care of the environment, to be a little bit more aware of your consumption and your waste. And through that, I just kind of started my own journey of like wanting to understand what that process really looks like and are things really being recycled and am I doing what I can do to be the best steward possible? Awesome. Yeah, it is a very confusing system. So it's it's always interesting to hear about other people's experiences with recycling. But before that, what types of outdoor activities do you enjoy now? 
So primarily now I'm really into biking and hiking. Honestly, any chance I can get to be outside, I'll go outside. I'm currently learning how to surf, which is really exciting. So I haven't done anything like that before. Awesome. Yeah, surfing is a scary one for me, but it always seemed really amazing. I should probably try it someday as well. (laughs) You were saying the topic of recycling is a big one. And we aren't strictly going to talk about just outdoor gear and equipment and recycling in this episode, because that's kind of a topic in itself. Maybe let's just start by overviewing how recycling in general functions in the United States specifically. And if you know about other countries and can compare the United States to them, then you can do that as well. Absolutely. And before I get started, I just want to say that I recognize that some people spend their whole lives like researching this topic, understanding it. And I by no means am a professional, but just someone that's tried to take my own waste and understanding into just into consideration to understand that process. So the United States, like as a developed country, has a pretty decent recycling system. It is by no means perfect and I think is being challenged in a lot of ways right now, which is really great. But basically, the way that I understand that it works is counties make those decisions themselves. So it could vary from state to state and county to county. And they pay for residential and commercial recyclables to be trucks to local and regional recycling plants for processing. So that could be mixed metal pieces or glass or plastic or whatever that looks like. And then those clean batches will be sorted or compressed into bales of similar materials or plastics. And then those centers will then sell those recyclables to open markets that will buy those to process them to then create recyclable materials with them, so plastic pellets or post-consumer paper, things like that. And oftentimes those places that those things are being sold to are places overseas like China. Unfortunately, the United States is a very high recycling rate, and now it is just creating too many recyclables that it's no longer becoming a profitable margin. And so we just have this overflow of materials that are just kind of sitting there or they're being thrown away, or they're just not being properly handled, whether that's because there's too many of them, or they're contaminated, or it's too hard to process, or whatever that looks like. Yeah, and like you mentioned, because some the different municipalities and counties and stuff are making those decisions, it's really hard to give blanket statements across the United States, like, this is how to recycle, because... It's so different in every single place. Like, for example, where I live, we can't recycle glass, but you can recycle a lot of other things. That in itself is very taxing for me to think about sometimes. And I have a lot of opinions about recycling in general. So I am wondering, from your perspective, do you think recycling is actually good for the environment? And I'm going to kind of combine two questions here. So do you think it's good for the environment? And do you think it's the best waste management option that we have? Yeah, those are both really good questions. I think I'll start with the second one first and talk a little bit about, is it the best waste management option? For me personally, I don't think that it is. And thinking back to, we have that very classic reduce, reuse, recycle, like everyone understands that slogan, everyone recognizes the emblem. And as you mentioned in one of your prior episodes, thinking back to people just kind of completely forget those first two things. And they're like, oh, I'm recycling, I'm doing a good job. And while like being mindful and trying to recycle and do those things is really important, it's not the best waste management option. There are so many ways to handle the things that we're recycling. Oftentimes things can be reused or things can be donated 
just recently I lived in a home that ran off of a wood stove. And so anything that from cardboard and paper and things like that that we could kind of use to start the fire, we would use anything that was safe to use, of course. But understanding how you can kind of start that process by saying, oh, I've got some pasta jars here. Maybe someone in my neighborhood could use these or I've got some paper here. I could burn this or I could donate it to a local shelter or whatever that looks like. So first kind of starting there on how you can reuse those and then how you could also reduce, which is also a really challenging topic and conversation to have because there's a lot of different uh, accessibility that comes into play with things like that and like what people can get to and what they cannot get to, what's offered in their local stores and what's not. And when it comes to me thinking that recycling is truly good for the environment, I think such like a tricky question, right? But it's kind of looked at to me from a point of view of putting a Band-Aid on a much bigger issue. While the idea of recycling sounds really great and plush, like they're so much more complex. And the reality is, is that such a small percentage of things that you put in your curbside bin are actually being recycled or actually being made into like post-consumer products. So ultimately, it is not the best for the environment. Is it better than probably just throwing your things directly in the trash? I do believe that but I would not call that our first line of defense. I 100% agree. (laughs) I could say so many things about recycling, but I'm just not going to do that right now. (laughs) Part of what I think you already touched on this a little bit, especially in one of your last statements, is that not everything that you put in the recycling bin actually gets recycled. And also, like, sometimes you're putting the wrong things in there. For instance, I, for a while, when I first moved to where I live now, I was putting glass in the recycling because I didn't know we didn't recycle glass here. And then I, like, blew my mind that people didn't do that. And so I was putting something in there that I should not have been kind of a wish cycling situation. What do you think makes recycling so hard or confusing for so many people? Yeah, I think it goes back to kind of that, that original thing of like understanding that classic recycling campaign of like people see that little arrow or the little triangle and they're like, yes, I can do this. I can recycle. And just like with the glass, I, I used to live in a space as well where you couldn't recycle glass. They actually changed like the whole protocol while I was living there. So I was like, yay, recycling this. And then like six months in, my roommate was like, you can't recycle that. And I was like, that is great to know. So I think it's just lack of access to proper recycling protocols and procedures in people's areas. It's really easy for you to just go to your local recycling center or just have your bin with your house and like, oh, this has this little triangle on it. I can throw it in the recycling and not really understanding what that numerical system looks like or understanding what your county can actually offer and what kind of facilities they have to actually recycle things. From what I understand with glass especially, is it just uses so much energy to be able to recycle it. So a lot of counties just stopped and kind of didn't make any kind of movement or wave to let people know there's like, we're going to stop recycling this, but no one's going to know. So I think it is really confusing and hard for people because they're like, I'm doing the right thing. This has this on there. So I'm just going to put it in there. And then odds are it's contaminating stuff and it's all just going to get thrown away or whatever happens after that. Yeah. And I think oftentimes that a lot of it falls down to the individual consumer. Like a lot of it is pushed on us to be like, well, you should understand this and you should seek out this information, but it's not always like top of mind or super accessible. So how can people best access their local municipalities, recycling regulations and instructions? 
That's a great question. I think that also kind of circles back into like the concept of accessibility, right? And what people have at their readiness. And if you have the option to to get on a computer or have a smartphone and you can kind of Google those things. And even then it's a little tricky to kind of navigate those counties' websites. And you're going through this rabbit hole. Here's this list. Here's this list. Oh, well, this list is from two years ago. Maybe this link will take me there. And so trying to, if you're willing to go through that rabbit hole and kind of going down that. One thing I've found that can be helpful is if you know where your local like recycling centers are, where you, they have the big bins where people can drive up. Um, sometimes they're near the landfill. It just kind of depends on your county. They typically have those things posted. So if you're there, like taking a picture of it and kind of seeing what that looks like, or even trying to like call your county and be like, I'm trying to do the right thing here. What does this look like? And try to get that information sent over to you or them to tell you what they can and can't accept, I think is probably the best way to go about it. Yeah, it does take a little bit of extra research here and there. And I have seen in some cities, they'll send out a flyer or the waste management people will like mail, put something in your mailbox or something along those lines. And I wish that that was more of a standard practice, that they would provide that information just outright and upfront because in all reality, that would probably make the entire system just a little bit smoother because then there would potentially be less of that contamination like you're talking about. And speaking of the contamination, what are some things that just across the board people probably put in their recycling bins that they should not be putting in their recycling bins? And I already said this word, but this is like a common term, I guess, in like environmental spaces is wish cycling materials. So what are common wish cycled materials? First and foremost, I would say things that do not belong in your recycling bin are dirty, contaminated food containers. The first thing that comes to mind is like that greasy pizza box that you're like, yes, it's cardboard. I'm putting in the recycling. And like, unfortunately, let's get grease all over it. It's not going to go through that process correctly and potentially contaminate other things. It's going to cause them just to all get thrown away or burned or whatever that process looks like after that. But also making sure that you're taking that time to kind of rinse things out, your yogurt cups, your milk containers, things like that. Because again, once your bin is contaminated and it continues to contaminate other things around it, it causes those to just completely get taken out of that process. And then also going back to the things that you could try to see if other people could use them first. So trying to keep things like glass jars, uh, things that could potentially be reused around you is a good idea. And batteries. I hear mixed things on this, but batteries like lithium ion or rechargeable batteries can be pretty hazardous to deal with anyways, to just throw in the trash or in the recycling. And a lot of counties are like really, really finicky on what that process looks like. And again, goes back to that process of trying to research what you can and can't do. From what I understand, there's certain facilities and even stores that will just like take your old batteries and go through that process itself. And I encourage people to kind of look that up and what their city or their county has to offer as far as those things. But the biggest thing is definitely those dirty and contaminated items. Yeah, the battery one is really difficult for me. I just kind of I like collect the batteries for a really long period of time and just have this little box of them until finally I'm like, okay, I should actually find a place to recycle these. And actually, when I lived in Salt Lake City for a while, 
it was like the climbing gym that I went to. They had a lot of recycling options for members there, which was really interesting. So like people could bring their batteries and then the gym would recycle them for them. So I think sometimes just like in our communities, there are a lot of people and just city projects that can help people find the right resources. So it does just come down to research sometimes. (laughs) But I do also, when it comes to contamination, I do want to talk a little bit about plastic bags. In some areas, we don't use plastic bags anymore. I think it is maybe more prevalent in other countries, but places like California or in Washington now, you have to pay for the bags, so they're just used less. But I do see a lot of people still attempting to recycle them in their curbside bins. Yes, that is a huge thing, I feel like. Again, it goes back to this concept and ideology of, oh, this is plastic. I can just recycle it and not understanding what that really soft plastic process looks like. From what I have gathered, and and it's been a while since I've used plastic bags personally and lived in a state that allows me to use plastic bags. But from what I have seen, a lot of big chain grocery stores, whatever those are to your area, typically have some kind of bin that's like, here, come bring your bags back up here. Come bring your plastic bags and we'll recycle them for you. So again, kind of going back to what you were saying is there's these places in your county, in your cities that are trying to put in that legwork, whether they're big corporations sometimes where those small spaces like climbing gyms or gear stores Kind of be on the lookout as you navigate around your city next time, wherever you're going, and be like, oh, I could take my batteries here, my plastic bags here. I feel like a lot of people misunderstand the plastic bag thing. Plastics in general are just really, they're very difficult to understand all of the different types because like in some areas, I was visiting a friend I don't know, last summer sometime. And then I was going to recycle like this black plastic takeout container. And she's like, oh, black plastics. I don't know, number five or something. I don't remember what number, but she's like, we don't recycle those in our county. And I was like, how how are you supposed to know that when that symbol is on everything? And so I'm kind of wondering, what tips do you have for understanding those recycling numbers? I know we kind of talked about doing the research and things, but just a general understanding of what the little triangle with the number inside actually means when it's on something. So typically, your county will just kind of say, yeah, we accept ones and fives or whatever that looks like. And you're like, what does that mean? What what is a one? In 1988, the Society of the Plastic Industry, so the SPI, put together a system that allowed recyclers to be able to tell the difference between plastics when recycling. And so that is what that triangle and the number mean. It just represents the grade of plastic, or also known as their resin ID. And the biggest two that can usually be recycled across the board in most places, or at least the places I've experienced, are number one, which is polyethylate terephthalate, and this is going to be things like your soda bottles, your water bottles, and some food packaging. And the number twos, which are high-density polyethylene, those are going to be kind of your bigger plastic bottles, thinking like milk containers, bleach bottles, hair care products, things like that. All of those numbers will kind of tell you what kind of plastic they are. If I'm remembering correctly, Number five is going to be more fiber-based things that are also usually recyclable in other places. Biggest one to look out for is number seven, which is a like mixed amount of plastics and is typically not recyclable in most places. Those numbers are just broken down by what kind of plastic they are, what the grade is, and kind of gives you that, can this be recycled easily? Can this not be recycled at all? 
Yeah, and I think if you're taking the time to go and look to see which numbers your municipality accepts, then you can just kind of remember that and then reference the little triangle and then it actually becomes useful in those situations <laughs> instead of just trying to guess because then you see the triangle with the number one or something and you're like, okay, 100%, I know this can be recycled. And one material that I always question is... I forget what they're actually called, but they're, you know, like they are the kind of cardboardy or waxy type boxes that you'll see a lot of times with different types of plant milk or juices, things like, or soups and stocks. What are those little boxes called? Ooh, I, I know what you're talking about. And I do not remember what they're <laughs> called, but from what I understand, those are one of the harder things to recycle. Yeah, same. I have never lived in a place that actually accepted them. So I have also lived in some areas where they just have absolutely no recycling in place. And in those situations, I think most people just opt to throwing everything in the trash because it is the easiest option. But what are some other things that people can maybe be doing if their area doesn't recycle at all? Yeah, and I am going to be honest, I don't blame people for taking that easy route. I can't do this. Like, I am a busy human and I need to throw this in the trash. Living in a space like that or even a space that offers recycling, but it may be difficult to get to or it may be just have like really crazy intense rules and regulations. So you're like, I don't even know how to keep up with this. I think the biggest thing is like starting at the consumption level of being mindful of your consumption and like what you're buying and how often you're buying it. And if you live in a space that you can buy things in bulk or you can buy things unpackaged and bring your jars in or whatever that process looks like, it kind of starts there. And then kind of goes back into something I talked a little bit about earlier and understanding how those objects and items can be reused if that's donating it to other people or donating it to organizations that could use it. Something that comes to mind for like cardboard boxes or newspapers and papers, like an animal shelter could use those. I know a lot of counties and like cities typically have like Facebook pages that are like free and like people are like, oh yeah, I want those pasta jars or I can use those yogurt containers for cups. There is a program based out of Oregon that the name has completely like slipped my mind, but a camp that I worked for actually obtained a lot of our art supplies from there. And so this program works to reduce waste by people just donating things like jar lids or plastic containers or old corks or whatever that looks like and donating those things that may seem like trash to you. And that's totally understandable, but people can use them for art projects or, you know, have them at camps to use whatever for whatever they're going to use them for. So looking into options like that, if that's something you're able to do, is probably the biggest way to kind of reduce that waste yeah, I do think reverting back to that reduction and the reusing are the best options when you cannot find a recycling center. But when I think back to the area I was living, that they didn't have curbside pickup for recycling, but one of the large grocery stores had those big drop-off bins. I don't know where it ended up going, maybe another county or something. So we were able to collect our recycling, but then we had to deliver it ourselves. So it is kind of an extra step. And I think a lot of people just kind of want to skip that step because the curbside bins are so much more convenient. You don't have to sort, etc. Speaking of things that 
make recycling more difficult, I do want to talk a little bit about certain consumables that are difficult to recycle in the outdoor industry specifically. What comes to my mind right away is the fuel canisters for a stove. So the, the green ones are probably the mo most common ones, but they have the smaller ones as well that are like white and orange. Those fuel canisters are made from easily recyclable materials, but the container itself, because of the contents and the way that it's made, make it really hard to recycle. So we could talk about how to recycle that one, but then also if you know about other consumables other than just packaging like we've been talking about that can be recycled, that would be great too. Yeah, so those fuel canisters are a very commonly used material in the outdoor industry where people are like, okay, I'm done with this, now what do I do with it? I already feel kind of like you mentioned. It's difficult like figuring out how to dispose of it anyways because of the contents of it. But believe it or not, they're pretty easy to recycle because they're just considered a mixed metal. And that process can be a little bit more complicated than just like throwing it in your bin and having it taken off at the curb. So I used to work at a, a little gear store and people would bring them up there and we would recycle them there. And so what that can look like is bringing them up to a mixed metal space, or again, finding a space that you can bring them to and they'll recycle it for you. The biggest thing to do is one, making sure that it's completely empty, right? You wanna make sure you've used all that gas out of there, burn them off. And then if you think there's a little bit of gas left, you can purge it by like attaching it to your stove um, and opening the valve just to kind of get any little bit that's left in there out, even if it's not really enough for cooking. And then once you, are sure that your canister is empty. You just need to puncture it so it meets those recycling requirements. So that just makes sure that it's not gonna be combustible. There's not any more fuel or anything like that in it. And you can do that with any kind of like sharp household object, if that's a can opener or a screwdriver or an ice ax, if that's a household object for you. But don't wanna use anything like a saw that's gonna create that friction because uh, it could potentially ignite any remaining fuel. And you don't even have to like remove the valve or anything like that because it's also considered part of that mixed metal breakdown. I have also seen those little, I don't remember what they're called, but some companies that make the stoves have some like a little plastic device that you can use that just opens the valve on the top of the canister and that empties it. So you don't even have to attach it to your stove. So I do know those exist and they make the process a little bit easier in my experience to like actually feel confident that it has been emptied because <laughs> I get nervous like puncturing the side of it. But once it is punctured, I don't know if you already said this, but can you put it in your bin then once it's been punctured and labeled as empty or do you have to bring it to a drop-off location? From what I understand, I think it goes back to what your county is going to accept. And if they accept most other mixed metals, then you are probably good to go. Um, but if you have any hesitation about it, I would recommend calling and asking, or even like next time you're at the gear store, ask what that process looks like or whatever that drop-off location is. Before you bring it up there, you can ask them where they take it or what that looks like. But from my personal experience, I have not lived in a space that has accepted them on curbside. Um, I think just because at first glance, it looks like kind of a intimidating material to handle, but once they're like punctured or, and they're empty, then they're totally safe and okay to handle. 
Other than those fuel canisters, are there any other materials that would commonly be used in the outdoor industry that aren't often recycled that could be? I can't think of any like right off the top of my head, but do you know of any? Yeah, so I think like after that would probably be like textiles. And if you are like an outdoor gear junkie or you like having outdoor gear and clothing like I do, probably like burn through your favorite pair of tights or your favorite pair of hiking boots a few times. And sometimes those things get to the point of like, you know, tenacious tape or whatever is not going to hold it together anymore. So there's companies that have programs that I'm sure you've heard of, like the Patagonia Warnwear program, where you can bring in your worn out textiles. And oftentimes they'll recycle those textiles into clothing or they'll buy them back or they'll repair them or whatever that looks like. Thinking about before you throw out your old shirt or pants or whatever that looks like. Looking into different companies, I just recently heard, and I, I don't know the accuracy of this, that uh, I think Arcteryx also does a similar program to that. I know Patagonia gets a lot of the forefront on that because they do a lot of, you know, 1% for the planet things, but there are other companies that have programs like that in place. So before you go to throw out your old keen boots or whatever that looks like, we're looking into what their warranty or recycling program may look like. I think for sure North Face is another big company that does a program really similar to Patagonia's. So that's another big brand that you might have some of their clothing and that's a good place to send that to or to resell through. And I think because outdoor industry folks, they tend to be more environmentally focused. I have also seen kind of a rise in the reuse and repurpose realm. So like for things like bike tires and tubes and even wetsuits, I've seen a couple of companies that you can send those things to and they'll make them into something else. Same with sails from your sailboats. You can send old sails to certain companies and they will remake it into something useful. So I think that that's really cool if it is like a product that is really difficult to actually recycle. Are there any other ones that you can think of? Not off the top of my head, I have definitely seen a few programs set in place, like what you were talking about, even like small artists that make earrings or pocketbooks or purses or whatever, like bike tubes or rugs out of old climbing rope. And like, there's just great ways for those things to be upcycled and understanding that some people don't want to put the time in or the energy in to like upcycle those things themselves. But like definitely looking into programs that they can make use of those products before they go into the waste bin or even the recycling bin is a really great option. Yeah, a couple of companies off the top of my head, if any of the people listening would want to check them out, like specifically for climbing ropes. There's a company called Crag Dog that turns the ropes into dog toys and leashes, which is cool. And Green Guru is... One of the companies that I was thinking of talking about the different bike materials, so specifically like bike tubes, because they make different bike bags out of the tubes. So they're waterproof and really durable, which is cool. And then I think Metamorphosis Gear does the sails and wetsuits. So I can link to those if people are interested in like getting rid of some old gear that's just been collecting dust and they don't know what to do with. They're great companies to send those to. And there's probably other ones as well. But those are the main three that I have heard of that have really positive results. Can you think of other resources that would be valuable to listeners, whether it's about their curbside recycling, food packaging, or outdoor industry recycling? 
Yeah, I would definitely recommend checking in with those local organizations and companies that are working to kind of create this system for everyone. If that's your gear stores, your climbing gyms, whatever that looks like, and kind of see how they got started and where they got started on joining that process. But also just being mindful of like checking what your county will take and what they won't take and kind of what that process looks like and and know that it's not a perfect system and it probably will never be a perfect system. And if you're actively trying to do something and be more aware of your consumption and more aware of your waste, then like don't feel guilty for like larger scale issues that are out of your control. Yeah, it is really easy to fall into a little bit of negative self-talk or a negative mindset surrounding those types of things that are out of your control. So it's a very positive message. So I know that you have a lot of other projects going on in your life. So how can people reach out to you if they just want to learn more about your work? The two biggest ways to keep in touch with me is going to be through my Instagram, which is underscore underscore Courtney Danielle underscore underscore. And then the other best way is going to be to follow my blog, which is Wasteland Creates on WordPress. And I just run a lifestyle blog talking about mental health, share my photographs there. So if that's something you're interested in, you can follow there as well. Very cool. Well, I am very grateful that you have time to jump on here and talk about recycling. I know that it's maybe not the most glamorous or exciting topic to discuss, but I do think it is really important and valuable. So thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. New content has begun to appear on the Outdoor Minimalist Patreon. Head over to theoutdoorminimalist.com for more information about our listener support and patron exclusives. You can still find me on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book, follow there for daily updates, other educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with a shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.